Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to have a repeat guest on, and it is Rick Mum. Rick, how are you doing today? Doing great, Mark. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and I'm glad that we can have our third podcast on Field of Membership. NCUA has taken some recent action that when it came out, I quickly got in touch with Rick, and I said, Rick, after you take a look at this, let's do another podcast. And the item that we're going to chat about today came out on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2023. The NCUA board approved a proposed field of membership rule, and it has nine potential changes that they're contemplating. And those are the things that we're going to chat about here today. But before we do that, Rick, some of my listeners may not have heard your first or second podcast we did on field of membership. So could you give a little bit of background on what it is you did in CUA and what it is you're doing now? Okay, thanks, Mark. Yes, yeah, we. So I started with Mark and within at NCUA way way back in uh, the late '80s. So go a long ways back with Mark. So I retired after about from NCUA after about 34 years. Roughly 26 of that was in field of membership, dealing with everything with field of membership, including mergers, liquidations, conservatorships, bylaws, share insurance, the whole nine yards that goes along with credit unions charter. Uh, since I retired, I'm consulting on helping credit unions with their field of membership to kind of make it a little easier. You know, I may not be able to do as big of areas or whatever, but I think I know what a package looks like and how to put together a great package that'll have the minimum of questions and delays. That's good. Yeah, I know you've helped uh, several credit unions already. You've helped uh, some of my clients. And I think this proposed rule is going to lead to some better rules long-term and better options and more clarity for some credit unions. So with that, uh, Rick, let's let's jump right in to talk about the changes. So, uh, you know, in looking at, I, I, I printed off the board action memorandum and a couple pages of the rule, and it looks like based on what they're saying in the board action memorandum, that these nine changes fall into the area of underserved areas. They also touch on community-based field of memberships, and then there's also some more broadly applicable field of membership provisions that they've adjusted in this proposal. So which one of the proposals would you like us to talk about first, Rick? I was just thinking, just going down the order and the way it's listed in the proposed. That sounds good. So if anybody else wants to follow along, that'll make it easy. So what's listed number one? Okay. We'll say that the, the requests for comments are due May 30th. If anybody, after listening to this, wants to send their comments into the board, so there's still 80-some-odd days at least remaining, so May 30th is, is the deadline. And I'd also like to say I think Cure and General Counsel, when putting this together, did a good job. There's some of the changes that I think are overdue and really good. 
And Cure, so, so just pause there for one second. You and I and NCUA loves ac- acronyms. Cure is the Credit Union Resource and Expansion Division, which is the office that you retired from, and it's the office that handles field membership and other things for NCUA, right? Correct. Got it. And OGC is the Office of General Counsel. Very good. Very good. Yes. So, yes. And you're right. We speak in our acronyms very fluently. We do speak in code. Yeah, that's why we. That's why I call myself the NCUA interpreter, so that uh, we can take care of some of that for credit unions. But anyway, I digress. All right. So, okay. the The first change is underserved areas based on rural districts. That this one makes sense. What it does is, when you have an underserved area, it has to meet the same community requirements as if you're going to expand or convert to a community charter. In fact, the underserved part of the regulation points you back to the community charter portion of the regulation on the communities. And what this does is a rural district was limited in scope. You couldn't basically, you couldn't go across another, like multiple states. Your head, wherever the credit union's headquarters was, They could have a rural area in the state that they border, but they couldn't jump to another state. So I think that was, you know, you have some very rural Western states. So I think the intent was somebody in Montana couldn't jump through North Dakota to get to Minnesota. I think they would have just been limited to North or South Dakota, wherever their corporate headquarters was in relation to those states. This amendment just eliminates that part of it. So for an underserved area, you're not limited to that limitation because on an underserved area, multiple common bond can add an underserved area regardless of location. So I think the thinking was that this limits their location so it doesn't really have the same impact. It makes sense from the standpoint, I'm not totally clear understanding if why somebody would do an underserved area with a rural area that long that this comes into play, but I don't have any issue with it per se. So somewhere in Montana, an area near the Wyoming border, I've got a presence there, and now I would be able to pick up potentially rural districts in Wyoming, the neighboring state that might make sense. Is that a good example? Now, are you talking underserved or converting their community? There's a distinction. You tell me. Okay. As community expanding from Montana, you could expand into Wyoming. Got it. But given Wyoming is Wyoming, there's not a whole lot there. Right, right. So so multiple common bond, if I was multiple common bond and I had underserved areas that I wanted to add... And that included rural districts in Wyoming. That's what this proposal is getting to potentially. That would that's an example that might help. Um, potentially, yes. And see, this is one I as a multiple common bond. You want to add an underserved area, you can add one without regard to location. So if you prove that the rural area is underserved, and most rural areas, I believe, are underserved. Sure. You could add it regardless of the location, and it's it's so. Is it just clarifying that you can? I, go- I think a lot of a lot of this is more clarification. Okay. That makes sense. Got it. I don't see where, as a practical matter, it really does anything. 
Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Well, that takes care of that one. What's next on the list? Okay. The next one is CDFI economic distress criteria. And this is an excellent change. It's overdue. It's under NCUA regulation. If for underserved, you have to follow the decennial census. And the further away you get from a decennial census, the more stale the data is, the more likely the area may or may no longer qualify. What this does is it mirrors CDFI who move from decennial census to the American Community Survey information. And what happened is up until 2000, when you did the decennial census, there was the short form or people got lucky enough to do the long form, which asked for a bunch of economic data. Well, Congress kind of got away with that and they went with what's called the American Community Survey or ACS. And it now collects economic data and it basically comes out at like every five years. There's there's other nuances to it, but basically every five years it comes up with economic data. CDFI went to ACS, NCUA was on decennial, and that caused problems because CDFI was no longer maintaining or necessarily updating the decennial data, which made it very difficult for us to use CDFI, which is all we basically used for underserved areas. So this is just, this changes lines, it's basically just aligning everything NCUA does with underserved with whatever CDFI does. So if CDFI makes a change going forward on whatever, we are the board automatically with this change makes that same change. You won't so, have to go back. So it's a great change. It keeps us singing from the same hymnal to prove that they qualify for the field of membership expansion. Does it also play into CDFI becoming a, a CDFI sort of what, what's the Certification. Certification. Thank you. Or is that different? It, it could possibly. Certification is a different process than the underserved. And I, to be honest, I don't know what all the data they ask CDFI wants. Got it. Got it. So that's a definite maybe on that part of it, but it would, it yeah. would allow us to have better data, more up-to-date data when credit unions were looking at an expansion of this type. Of an underserved. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Very so good. It's a, yeah, it's a great change. Very good. All right. Kudos to NCUA on that one. All right. So next up is uh, what? Okay. The next one is also related is a technical update to eliminate census blocks groups as a permi permissible geographic unit when doing an underserved area. And again, this is a fantastic change. Census blocks have always been in there. But until recently, no one ever tried to use a census block for an underserved area. And for those, when the census does their census, they break data into census blocks and census tracts. Census, there's like, depending on, you know, there's, there's no real hard and fast. You know, I think it's usually three to five census blocks roughly make up a census tract. And then the census tract is basic unit. Well, going down to the census block level, it's very difficult. And it was always there, but until a couple of years ago, no one ever tried to use a census block because the data wasn't as readily available, wasn't as just, and it wasn't as easy to work with because everything is pretty much in census track. 
What this does is eliminates the use of census blocks. It also aligns with CDFI because according to the preamble and that in the background for the proposed rule is CDFI has also removed census blocks from their all their considerations. So again, it's aligning with CDFI and making a, a great change, eliminating something that was there that really wasn't practical or easy to use. Got it. So that sounds like that makes good sense too. So very good. So what's uh, proposal number four? The state, it's a statement of unmet needs or what's commonly referred to as a sun section when you're Adding an underserved area, the sun section required that you did at least a one-page narrative on what the unmet needs, significant unmet needs in an underserved areas was or is. You know, in the manual also said if you could quote third-party documentation, that was even more compelling. The problem is the sun section, very subjective. You know, a lot of times is, well, you weren't making stuff up, but... It was anecdotal. How about that? It was anecdotal information, but not maybe statistical information that proved it. Right. And it was, you really had to make a stretch at times. So Um, that gets rid of this so people won't be trying to put packages in this way. And it really focuses them more on the statistical analysis. Yes and no. What it does is it's still required because I believe it's still... It's required in the act, so you can't totally get well, rid yeah, of it. Well, if it's in the act, right, they're going to make them do it. That's for but sure. But what they're doing is making it much simpler in that the credit union just has to discuss in its business plan. They could just address one item, you know, like a loan, share drafts, or whatever that they offer that they see is needed in the community. They could just address that. They no okay. longer have to cite third party. Just makes a lot easier. A little, bit more, a little bit more efficient for the credit union, so maybe they can trim a few hours off preparing the package and getting it in. Yes. Okay. Got it. I think I like that one too. All right. So number five. What's number five? The next one is simplifying the business and marketing plan. You no longer have to list all your services. You, which kind of that was just to check off the box because what do you do with the list of all your services? You would also discuss your credit union branches in terms of drive-throughs, lobby capacity, where were they, relation to public transportation, all of that. It kind of eliminates that and gets to you just define yourself as full service and and everybody kind of knows what that is. And then you get into more on how your branches or your facilities can serve the community, what makes them unique or whatever to be able to reach out and serve the community. And I think that's a better way of doing the branching in that than what we had before. Got it. That seems to make sense as well. So what's up next then? What's the next proposal? The next is a standard fillable application. And this one, I'm not against a fillable app, fill in the blank checkbox application. I just don't think it should be required. I don't think an application form for a community makes sense. It, I think doing a community lends itself more to a narrative approach than it does fill in the blank. 
the board is thinking that it'll be easier, more standardized, the process. And there is some truth to that. But I also think with a fill in the blank, some credit unions are just going to give one two word answer, thinking they addressed it when more is needed. And I don't think there's as much thought put into the review part. If you just see a checkbox, yes, we have that. You check it. The analyst sees, okay, it's checked, moved on. There is no analysis. There's no looking at, okay, does this make sense? Should they have X? So it could encourage shorter answers, but those shorter answers might not provide enough information to prove that it's a community so that the agency could improve it. So while its goal is likely to speed up the process, it might lead to one more, I guess, turn, if you will, because as as you know, Rick, packages go in, NCUA's Office of Cure looks at it. Sometimes they're complete. A lot of times there's things that are missing and you have to go ask for more information. So it becomes this game of tennis to try and get it to the finish line. And that maybe there's going to be a little bit of uh, retraining or something along the lines where, yeah, they have this standard form and you so you give shorter answers. But that just means you go back and ask for more details, which could have an initial sense of frustration, potentially. Yes, that is very potential. Yes. And I also think there's a lot of new people in Cure. And I don't think they just see the check. They're not going to go in and ask the more questions or whatever. and. They may say it's a good package, they can serve it, but can they really? You know, there's no real analysis. And if you don't have an analysis to explain that, why do you need an analyst? You can just get a technician to go down through the application, check, yeah, this is check, 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 and be approved. Yeah, it comes closer to the, how do you add a, a small group where you can do it automatically online as opposed to actually needing an analysis and an analyst, like you said, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So very good. So next up, what's the next item? Oh, uh, this is okay. A community uh, state chartered credit union wants to convert from state to Fed. This change eliminates them having to provide a business plan and treat their community as if it's they've never served it, just like a federal. It's never made any sense to me why a state charter that's been serving a community for however many years now has to act like they've never served the community, provide all that documentation to convert from a state to Fed, when a state chartered multiple common bond could have God knows how many groups that do not even conform to federal policy that a federal credit union cannot have, never could have, and yet we'll let them bring it over, no questions asked. So there's kind of a disconnect there. This eliminates that change. They've been serving it. They don't have to do the business plan. They just bring over. So this to me is a fantastic. Right. So, so as long as you, so the states are, the state could have been serving that exact field of membership for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, pick a number. And NCUA is wisely saying, yeah, since you've already been doing it, you don't need to explain how you're going to do it because you've done it. Exactly. And the way the process is now, it doesn't matter. It's you've never served. We treat you like you've never served it. And yeah. it's kind of like <laughs> never made any sense. And then it, if they're wanting to convert from a single or a multiple state to a community fed, yeah, then they would have to do the process. 
Got it. Um, which is reasonable. That makes sense. And though the proposed rule doesn't say it, it doesn't specifically state it, if I'm assuming it would apply if a credit union wants to expand its existing community also, that case it should apply. Sure, that's logical. All right, next up is what? Okay, then next up is the one that I have the most concerned with and the one I don't think is very well thought out and will potentially cause issues. Community credit unions have what's referred to as affinity clauses on who they can serve, and that's typically live, work, or worship. So anybody who lives in the community, works in the community, worships in the community, or attends school in the community is part of a community charter. This proposal adds a paid employee for a legal entity headquartered in a well-defined local community, neighborhood, or rural district. And I can just see tons of problems. The rule does not define what headquarters is. It does get into the need because a lot of people are working remotely now. So that's true. And with the advances of technology, people aren't necessarily having to go into an office anymore. All of that, that's very true. The board is correct. I don't disagree with any of it. But it's all anecdotal to say that that's going to impact a credit union from one state wanting to convert to a federal community because they're going to lose all these employees that they could now serve or that it's going to adversely impact the community credit union. I just don't think this is very well thought out. You know, it doesn't define headquarters. You know, to me, headquarters is where you're legally chartered to do business as a corporation where your CEO is. But I could see in this case is you've got a credit union in Seattle, Washington, where community credit union with Amazon headquarters, they're now going to say under this, you could serve Amazon employees everywhere in the country, if not the world, where the tie to the people is with the company, not the community. You know, how many people in the middle of the country have ever gone to Seattle or even know Seattle is Amazon's headquarters. I think this creates a hybrid charter, essentially. It allows, it could, it combines a multiple common bond with a community and makes it a hybrid charter. Well, so interesting. And you, I mean, you know this inside and out from, from having worked on it for so long. It's, so when I look at it again, setting aside, you know, what the act allows and setting aside what the rules have been in the past. So we go back to that affinity group, live, work, or worship. So it's a community charter. If I live within the boundaries of that charter, that's okay. If I work within the boundaries, so let's say we're talking, again, with Seattle. So if I live in Seattle, that's pretty clear. I'm okay. If I work in Seattle, I come in and I come to Amazon, that's okay. If I worship, meaning if I'm a member of one of the many churches under every denomination, that's okay. And in that work scenario, I didn't have to live there. In the worship scenario, I didn't have to live there. And if I'm interpreting this right, NCUA is saying, if I'm paid from there, I would be eligible. So in this scenario, an Amazon worker who is just outside of Seattle could, under the current rules, could uh, belong to that community charter. If an Amazon worker 
Amazon is building a one of their headquarters in the Arlington or Alexandria, Virginia area right now. And they hire someone today who is maybe this is a bad example, but this might actually get to your headquarter question. Right. So they're they have this headquarters that's in Seattle. They're adding a dual headquarters in Alexandria. Which one are they paid from? Let me give you a different example. Let's talk about Boeing, maybe. Boeing's based in, let's assume it's still based in Seattle if it is, and I work for them in another area, You're, I'm paid from them. So really the difference is I'm not driving there to go into the community. It's more of an electronic connection to the community. You nailed it. Uh, it really kind of goes to the a potential solution to the increasing remote workers that we have. You know, the, to me, you, you hear a lot of board members have talked about this, a lot of credit unions have talked about this. When's the last time you actually went into your credit union or your bank? Your phone is usually your branch, but the Federal Credit Union Act doesn't allow that, doesn't allow you to say that your branch office can be that. Therefore, you don't need to have branches anywhere and you can, anybody can join any credit union, which is, which is not what this is, but it's a step towards some flexibilities for remote working. So, you know, Rick, if they could, if they did define headquarters and they put some more fences and definitions around this, would that make you a little bit more comfortable on this? Yes, it would. I, I think more people remote work, work remote, more people, the electronic age, society's changing in that regards, how we do business and all of that. But this is so open-ended, there, there is no controls, the ties, is to the company, not the community. There is no tie to a community the way this is worded. It's all subjective or anecdotal. There is no support for this objectively with numbers or anything like that. And I just see this as now it's a hybrid charter. You're combining groups. The thing that I can see w w happening here too is some credit union doesn't define what headquarters is. So credit unions, well, Joe came in with, he said he had a couple employees way over here. This is his headquarters. So they start making loans all over the country. They blow up like sometimes credit unions making loans all over the country or outside of their area tend to happen. Examiners go in on site. They see all of this. And now all of a sudden some poor SE who's trying to get toward the end of the year, it's got his time budgets, trying to make program, is all of a sudden has this credit union that has loans all over the country because their community, it was a paid thing. They can't support that there was a headquarters. They were just adding people all over because someone said they had a headquarters. And now you've got this SE saying, okay, I'm not going to make program. I now need to get help from other SEs who are worried about making program, then they're going to have to call in special actions. Then they're going to get GC involved because of the like, and then they're going to, you know, cure, they're going to have some analysts or two are now going to have to get involved because how are we going to fix this? And they're already behind and our credit unions complaining packages aren't getting. So I just see going down the road, this causing a whole lot of problems for a whole lot of people because they put no thought into it or support up front. You really, really are not a fan of this one is what my takeaway is going to be from that that last time. Uh, no, 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 not as proposed. Not as proposed. So there could, they could do a little work on this. Maybe you need to submit some comments to make their final rule better. That's a rhetorical question. You can... 
you don't have to answer that, but uh, you've got a lot of thoughts on it. And now, you know, I, I know that special actions uh, right now is real busy with some other issues uh, economically with NCUA's priority letter on uh, making liquidity and, and interest rate risk priorities one and two. So if I was still there, I probably wouldn't transfer any anything over to special actions. But I get your point. I understand what, you know, the road you were describing there. All right. So if, I, if I've been adding right, we have at least we have maybe one or two more items here that are proposed is it one um actually i think there's two they say nine but i don't know where they got i think they combined two as as one so right. well, i think i, was, I counted ten was exactly right it's either one or two whether or not there's nine or ten of them all right very good so what's number nine okay the other is eligibility of an immediate family members a decedent and it's, it's a decent change good change what it basically allows if somebody the way field the membership is if you are eligible to join a credit union any of your family members you know spouse child grandchild parent or sibling can join the credit union you do not have to and then once they join then that goes out to the next level their spouse child grandchild parent or sibling can join what this does is if you die and say your siblings didn't join the credit union they intended to but you passed what this allows it gives a six months grace period for any family members that didn't join but could have while you were alive it just gives a six months grace period for them to do it it aligns with share insurance that gives you know the estate six months to restructure its account before you have to do something with the account. So it kind of aligns with share insurance in that respect. Yeah, um, yeah that makes sense. I love, yeah, I like this a lot. And, and, you know, if you've got someone who does come in, your parent passes away and, and you just discover the credit union while you're helping them wrap up their affairs, it's great to have the option, you know, when you're doing that and they're, they're treating you well and it's going well, it's like, hey, why can't I become a member? So yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. So that's a great example. So it's a, it's a good change. Very good. All right. So number 10. Okay. Number 10. This one, I, I get why they're doing it. I don't understand why all of a sudden the need for it. It's been there for forever. What it does is on review and update of prospective officials is for new board members or subscribers on a new credit union, they have to go through a background and credit, credit check. What this is doing is the Chartering manual cited 701.14, which deals with troubled credit union officials. So what they're saying is they're making the correction is these are not troubled credit union officials. So it's basically citing the wrong site that you use for this. So they're just eliminating that and changing the reference to Section 201 of the Act, which is more of a correct site now. Why it took all of these years or this long to figure that out and that I don't understand. You're still in the same place. You need a credit and background check. So you know, this is nice. It's, good a, te- it's a technical amendment that no harm, no foul. They were doing it. They just made the wrong reference. So yeah. So line, the rule changed and they and they missed that one. So it's a that's a cleanup. All right. So yes. So Here. yes. All right. Well, Rick, one other thing that you know you and I had chatted a little bit about offline is NCUA has come up with the concept of a provisional charter. And there's not a lot of meat in the discussion of that, but from what you've read relative to the provisional charter for a new charter, 
Uh, any thoughts on that you'd like to discuss here for the listeners today? Yes, I think it's a good idea or something to be looked into, flushed out, is one of the things that, you know, they, they want more credit union charters, but I think their insurance really is one of the stumbling blocks to doing new charters because, you know, the share insurance fund doesn't want to take in all the risks. So, so that means new groups have to raise capital and that's a big stumbling block trying to raise capital when you're not a 501c3. So it's not a charitable deduction. So you, but you need a charitable donation basically. So it eliminates opportunities to charter a credit union before share insurance the members bore 100% of the risk. And so we could charter credit unions all day long. It didn't matter if they succeeded or not because the members bore the risk. They wanted it to succeed. They're going to work harder to make it succeed. If not, they're the ones out. Share Insurance Fund transferred all the risks from members to the fund, which means we're going to take a lot closer look at viability, how much money you have. A provisional charter would, I think, some ways divide that risk somehow is what I'm envisioning is the fund will take on some of the risk and members will take on some of the risk and how that would work or do from what I've read isn't there that just kind of the concept's been thrown out. I think that's something that is a good idea could potentially charter more credit unions is okay, do a provisional charter somehow based on, okay, the members are going to take some of the risk and then the fund will take some of the risk. And the details in that would obviously have to be worked out. But. Sure. sure. So stay tuned on that one. We'll hear more on it. But it's good that they're thinking outside the box. So, Rick, is there any other questions I should have asked you or any last things you'd like to chat about Feel the membership proposal that's out here that we've just kind of walked through? Anything else? No, I think this covers it. You know, I think people take a look, see what they think, and they have an opinion right into the board. You got it. Yeah, the board does listen. They do like those comments. And then, so Rick, if someone is listening to this and they're going, you know what, I think I want to talk to Rick about expanding my field of membership. What's the best way for a listener to reach you to talk about that? Okay, they can send me an email to info, I-N-F-O at rcuservices.com. Very good. And I want to, Rick, I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom on field membership in general and your thoughts on this proposal. And thanks again for your time, Rick. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. You got it. And listeners, I thank you for listening. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 